Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Deal with 
All right. Good morning, beautiful people. This is Nube Brown, your host here at Prison Focus Radio here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. I want to thank you for joining me this morning. I can feel your beautiful energy. And of course, we are going to have a great show because here at Prison Focus Radio, this fantastic hour that this I am so grateful to be able to host. Thank you, KPOO, for uh, providing this platform for an hour of pure prison-related issues. And, of course, that platform is about hearing from the voices uh, from the inside and other illuminated voices like Malcolm X. Today is his birthday. I am recording this on the day of his birthday, so happy born day to our um, our our prince and uh, we are going to be hearing from him for sure and we are going to also I will be continuing with the uh, the evil dehumanizing practice within the short corridor torture chamber by Satawa Nantambu Jama'a and some ghostwriting maybe we can call it by Mutope Duguma and uh, we will be hearing um, a, a letter from our dear Zah and we will be hearing from Imwalimu. So we've just got a great lineup today. So stay with me and, um, yeah, get comfortable and get real, because here we go. Right now in this country, if you and I, 22 million African Americans, that's what we are, Africans who are in America, you nothing but Africans, nothing but Africans. Same hell from the same man. 
just happens to be a white man. All of us have suffered here in this country political oppression at the hands of the white man, economic exploitation at the hands of the white man, and social degradation at the hands of the white man. Now, in thinking like this doesn't mean that we're anti-white, but it does mean we're anti-exploitation. We're anti-degradation. We're anti-oppression. And if the white man doesn't want us to be anti-him, let him stop oppressing and exploiting and degrading him. I'm not a politician, not even a student of politics. In fact, I'm not a student of much of anything. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I don't even consider myself an American. You and I were Americans, there'd be no problem. As long as you and I have been over here, we aren't Americans yet. Well, I am one who doesn't believe in deluding myself. I'm not going to sit at your table and watch you eat with nothing on my plate and call myself a diner. Sitting at the table doesn't make you a diner. Right. You must be eating some of what's on that table. <laughs> Being here in America doesn't make you an American. Yeah. Being born here in America doesn't make you an American. Why, if birth made you American, you wouldn't need any legislation. You wouldn't need any amendments to the Constitution. You wouldn't be faced with civil rights filibustering in Washington, D.C. right now. They don't have to pass civil rights legislation to make a poll out in America. No, I'm not an American. I'm one of the 22 million black people who are the victims of Americanism. One of the 22 million black people who are the victims of democracy. Nothing but disguised hypocrisy. So I'm not standing here speaking to you as an American or a patriot or, or a flag saluter or a flag waver. No, not I. I'm speaking as a victim of this American system. And I see America through the eyes of a victim. I don't see any American dream, I see an American nightmare. The next thing you'll see here in America, and please don't blame it on me when you see it. You will see the same things that have taken place among other people on this earth whose condition was parallel to that of the 22 million Afro-Americans in this country. The time is on the side of the oppressed today. It's against the oppressor. 
and truth is on the side of the oppressed today, it's against the oppressor. You don't need anything else. I would just like to say this in my conclusion. You'll see it. You'll see terrorism that will terrify you. And if you don't think you'll see it, you are trying to blind yourself to the historic development of everything that's taking place on this earth today. You'll see other things. Why will you see them? Because as soon as people realize that it's impossible for a chicken to produce a duck egg, even though they both belong to the same family of fowl, so-called fowl, a chicken just doesn't have it within its system to produce a duck egg. It can't do it. It can only produce according to what that particular system was constructed to produce. The system of this country cannot produce freedom for an Afro-American. for this system, this economic system, this political system, this social system, this system, period. It is impossible for it, as it stands, to, to produce freedom right now for the black man in this country. It's impossible. And if ever a chicken did <laughs> produce a, a duck egg, I'm quite sure you'd say that it was certainly a revolutionary... <laughs> well, we're justified in seeking civil rights if it means equality of opportunity because all we're doing there is trying to collect for our investment. We, our mothers and fathers invested sweat and blood. 310 years we worked in this country without a dime in return. I mean without a dime in return. You let, you let the white man walk around here talking about how rich this country is, but you never stop to think how it got rich so quick. It got rich, you made it rich. You take the people who are in this audience right now, they're poor, we're all poor as individuals. Our weekly salary individually amounts to hardly anything. But if you take the salary of everyone in here collectively, it'll fill up a whole lot of baskets. It's a lot of wealth. If you can collect the wages of just these people right here for a year, you'll be rich, richer than rich. When you look at it like that, think how rich Uncle Sam had to become. Not with this handful, but millions of black people. You're my mother and father who didn't work an eight-hour shift, but worked from can't see in the morning until can't see at night. <laughs> and worked for nothing, making the white man rich, making Uncle Sam rich. This is our investment. This is our contribution, our blood. Not only did we give of our free labor, we gave of our blood. Every time he had a call to arms, we were the first ones in uniform. We died on every battlefield the white man had. We have made a greater sacrifice than anybody who's standing up in America today. We have made a greater contribution and have collected less. Have collected less. 
civil rights to those of us whose philosophy is black nationalism means give it to us now. Don't even wait next year. Give it to us yesterday. And that's not fast enough. All right. Thank you, the beautiful Malcolm X, and happy birthday again. We are so grateful to uh, be able to be in, um, inspired by and encouraged by your truth and your passion uh, and, um, and still how relevant, uh, ooh, how relevant it is to this day. We are going to continue with the evil dehumanizing practice within the short corridor torture chamber by Satawa Nantambu Jama'a one of the four uh, principal uh, main representatives of the California hunger strikes and uh, co-author of the agreement to end hostilities and, of course, principal leader in the uh, victory of the Ashker v. Brown settlement that ended indefinite solitary confinement. I also want to shout out Mutope Duguma, who also co-authored this book, maybe a little bit more in the background, but nonetheless, he is listed here in the back, and I want to make sure that uh, we give credit where credit is due. Both of these brothers are still caged. Mutope is in, um, it is still in prison. Sutawa is in a medical facility where it is absolutely egregious that Satawa has to go up for parole, but we um, intend to um, have him released on June 25th. And um, both Satawa and Mutope uh, suffered decades of solitary confinement. Um, you've heard about this through, um, of course, all through this radio station, Prison Focus Radio, California Prison Focus, um, the uh, Liberate the Caged Voices, Liberate Our Caged Elders campaign, and also the agreement to come home. All right, we are going to start in with the second part here. We ended with Sitawa saying, so when you read this article, know that history is definitely repeating itself within the current torture chamber. The malicious practices through illegal covert operations. Those who are responsible for comprising the list for indeterminate shoe placement in the short corridor are IGI, which is the Institutional Gang Investigators, ISU, the Investigative Security Unit, and OCS, Office of Correctional Safety. Their roles are IGI, deals with the investigative side of the allegations against prisoners in which they do cell searches, harassing, intimidations, gathering of information on prisoners, manipulating and falsifying documents, holding interviews with informers, rats, snitches, and turncoats, and using them to fabricate lies in order to validate target subjects. IGI is subordinate to ISU. ISU is responsible for targeting and identifying new Africans who are revolutionary, who are nationalists, conscious-minded political ideological theoreticians, and influential prisoners. These are the prisoners who have been removed off general population because of their politics and unwillingness to cooperate with the racism by officials, and also those prisoners who are judged by the COs to be intimidating to them. They are then targeted for shoe validation. The ISU gets all their intelligence from IGI, and then they target who should be removed off of the general population. ISU is subordinate to OCS. OCS is responsible for overseeing and approving and disapproving all the intelligence that is submitted by the IGI and ISU for prison gang validation for indeterminate, indeterminate shoe program. 
ISU must go through OCS in order to double-sell prisoners in indeterminate shoe for alleged prison gang membership association. Nothing behind these walls with indeterminate shoe prisoners can be done without going through OCS, which is the head of inte- the head intelligence unit for CDC small r and based in Sacramento. IGI and ISU are inside the prisons. These agencies are run and controlled by profit-driven, racially biased men and women who see prisoners as a surplus to exploit for their interests. They are dishonest, corrupt, and criminal at best, and they are able to get away with the mistreatment and torture of prisoners because they are able to hide behind the system of institutionalized racism. So they have complete power to manufacture any evidence, establish any situation they desire behind these prison walls. And they are a big exploiter of taxpayer dollars by scamming the system through overtime, especially supported by lobbyists who push policy for their interests in establishing shoes in order to influence the public to think that prisoners are a personal threat to society. Establishment of the Short Corridor at Pelican Bay On January 2006, Pelican Bay State Prison Warden Kirkland A. and CDCR in Sacramento approved the roundup of over 200-plus prisoners to be placed in Building D1 through D4 Security Housing Unit, SHU, in PBSP, which has become known as the Short Corridor at Pelican Bay. Those who are gathered up were already serving indeterminate SHU terms, although there are over 700 prisoners serving indeterminate SHU terms in PBSP SHU, only 200-plus were placed in D1 through D4. In preparing for the short corridor, in 1989, the prison staff emptied D1 through D4 in three days and placed the new 200-plus prisoners in this isolated area. Prior to being moved to their new cells, the indeterminate shoe prisoners were already dealing with day-to-day problems just being in the shoe, but we would soon learn that we were targeted subjects for three primary reasons. One, isolation from other shoe prisoners and general population, or GP, two, for psychological and physical warfare by staffers who hope to influence us to debrief, snitch, rat, become an informer, or turncoat, and or three, for the guards to have an opportunity to exterminate us by any means necessary, covertly, if they were able to brand us as influential and political prisoners. We realized that the torture would be intensified intensified based on the fact that CDCR, PBSP, had set in motion their own policy to isolate us further to create their own supermax shoe, first in the state. But we did not know to what extent they would attack us, nor to what magnitude the CDCR and PBSP were willing to go. IGI-ISU Manipulation of Prisoner-Family Relationships Family and friends are the most important and cherished to most incarcerated prisoners. The administration, i.e. the IGI, ISU, and OCS, are well aware of our deep feelings and connections with our families, and they would be the first target of the COs in order to attack the short corridor prisoners. Tampering with mail to and from our outside contacts is a major invasion of privacy, and by manipulating the words in families' letters to us, IGI-ISU intentionally speculates or assumes gang activity. The word, quote, intentionally, 
is what prison officials use to open up open the door to read prisoners' correspondence. The COs then used CDCR 128B form to insinuate that family and friends were involved in criminal activity and subject to a criminal investigation for promoting gang activity. So with these methods, the IGI-ISU deliberately creates tension between prisoners and their families because naturally one's family and friends feel threatened and then consider what's best for them to safeguard themselves is stopping all correspondence because of the CDCR 128B form. And you can see this in the CDC 128B General Chrono dated 4-23-2012. There have been numerous situations where family and friends have been brought in for investigations simply to be intimidated and harassed. Now, imagine if you're a prisoner and your mother or father is brought under a flawed investigation for corresponding with you based on something that a lying IGI ISU investigative officer says or assumes, regardless if you are challenging it or not. In subject... In subjecting them to investigation, the COs have succeeded in what they set out to do, which is to intimidate intimidate through insinuation something criminal is going on. These are the very effective attacks that have forced many families and friends to disassociate themselves from their loved ones in prison, and prisoners have disassociated family and friends just to protect them from harassment. The 128B form was recently used in dealing with incoming mail that was forwarded to me by Rising Sun Press. Instead of IGI-ISU delivering the political literature to me, they labeled it promoting gang activity and deemed it to be a threat to legitimate penological interest. Therefore, it allowed them to confiscate said literature, but most of all, these IGI-ISU officials clearly labeled the new African Black Panthers as a, quote, gang, and we all know this is untrue. The IGI ISU OCS is hiding under the system of institutionalized racism in order to demonize new African political organizations as well as intimidate our family and friends. Too often, when our family or friends write to us, they are unable to say hardly anything before their mail is confiscated and they are sent a CDCR 128B form for promoting gang activity, in which the accusation is made that their letter is being, quote, retained by an investigative service unit, ISU, for investigation and potential disciplinary action or court proceedings against me and the aforementioned family and friends. It's important to know that none of these investigations have ever led to any court proceedings or disciplinary action against us and there are no conclusions to the investigations they open up. This is nothing but a constant practice that psychologically tortures our families and friends mentally, in which they fear being prosecuted for something that is non-criminal. It is nothing but a way to torment, intimidate them away from their families inside these prisons. Yet, prisoners are subjected to this torment and torture over and over again in solitary confinement. All right, if you are just joining us, you are tuned in to Prison Focus Radio here at KPOO San Francisco 89.5, and you may be live streaming at kpoo.com. We have been 
um, reading, or I have been reading, the second segment of The Evil Dehumanizing Practice within the Short Corridor Torture Chamber by Satawa Nantambu Jama'a and Mutope Duguma. We are going to take a quick musical, musical break and come back with some more amazing, powerful, and inspiring voices. The other day I was watching this thing about pyramids and people truly believe that the technology to build pyramids wasn't of this earth because at the time that pyramids were being made. So it was Europeans coming to Africa, seeing an amazing civilization that they could not imagine an African build, and they must then invoke some other cause that enabled them to build it. Excuse me, you know, <laughs> clever people come in all colors, yeah. all right? Okay. So just because you can't figure out how somebody built a pyramid doesn't mean the people who built the pyramid got help from aliens. That's all I'm saying. So just admit that you're not as smart as the people who built the pyramid and end the conversation there. to read a letter that was published along with a short documentary, just uh, less than eight minutes long, uh, that came to us through uh, the newyorker.com. And, and since it is still the month of May, what I consider to be Mother's, um, should be the month of Mother's Month, Mother's Month, I'm going to read this. Uh, the film is by Ellie Wen. And there is, and there's text by Sumit Pudyal. Uh, this was given to us um, early in early May. The title of this is A Son's Note from Prison. Your love is a verb. This is Ellie Wen's documentary, quote, titled On Mother's Day, portrays how a parent-child bond persists through the separation of incarceration. And here we see uh, the caption on the, uh, on the film is in the film, Anita Wills says she is baffled by how mass incarceration fits an American narrative that seems to celebrate maternal bonds. Anita Wills says that her son Carrie never forgets her birthday or Mother's Day. So on a May Sunday, she keeps her phone close. A card from Carrie had arrived that day. Inside it was a note addressed to, quote, Dear Wise Matriarch, Wills reads it aloud. What God has intended for our mothers to embody, you have personified. I'm humbled by your examples of leadership time after time. Your energy is a wellspring of endeavors to be carried to their accomplishments for the benefit of who we are in compromising conditions. I can attest firsthand that you have demonstrated how a love that is truly unconditional translates in this physical world. Your love is a verb. How precious you are. Thank you, profoundly for the many lessons you have and do teach. By the time she's finished reading, Wills is beaming. Hers is a familiar glow, the happy glint of someone who's just received genuine praise. 
not some clever greeting card lines that fit snugly into the gap between emotion and expression or a plain statement uttered so rarely that its force derives from its infrequency, but praise that is born of reflection. Mother, you're special, and this is why. She says, quote, that's from my son who's in prison, unquote. This moment, captured in Ellie Wen's short documentary on Mother's Day, gives viewers a peek into the life of Wills as a mother and activist. In 2018, when she was an MFA student at Stanford, Wen learned of Mama's Day bailout, an annual campaign organized by the National Bailout Collective, which focuses on pretrial detention reform. The collective connected her to SE Justice Group, a nonprofit in Oakland, California, that supports people with incarcerated loved ones. And it was through the SE Justice Group that she met Wills. Carrie was convicted in 2018. Uh, 2003 for second-degree murder, among other charges. He was sentenced to 66 years to life, as Wills recounts in the documentary. Quote, that meant that I would never have seen my son as a, as a free man, unquote. Immediately afterward, Wills began advocating for Carrie. She denies the charge, and her work revolves around his innocence. She really hit the streets with new urgency in 2011 after her grandson, Carrie's child, was killed. Quote, Carrie's son was murdered and he couldn't go to the funeral, Wills says. In a scene outside the Alameda County Courthouse, Wills wears a t-shirt with, quote, free black mamas written on it, and another supporter holds a placard that says, end money bail. The cash bail system is disproportionately harsh on communities of color. According to the Brennan Center for Justice, Black and Latino men are assessed higher bails than white men, and an inability to post bail not only means that they are held in pretrial detention for an extended period, but also that they are four times more likely to be sentenced to prison and that they hurry to make plea deals. On the steps of the courthouse, as she reads from written remarks, Will says in an even and firm tone, I am angry. Wills shares other emotions about her son's circumstances as well. Quote, at first, it was a lot of shame, like you failed as a mother, she reflects, as she is seen sitting in front of her laptop at home, her back to the camera facing a window. Then there are the daily reminders of her son's absence. When Carrie was a free man, the rest of the family used to visit Wills on the weekends, birthdays, and holidays. Carrie always manned the barbecue. Quote, and after he was gone, Wills says, holding back tears, it seemed like everybody stopped coming. When Carrie calls from prison, he talks of an education program he's in. It's beautiful, quotes, and brags about how good-looking he is. Hardy laughs are interrupted by an automated time reminder, and mother and son say their goodbyes. The respite is cut short by the vicissitudes of the criminal justice apparatus, which is as much a commercial venture as it is a law enforcement component. Then there's Mother's Day with its attendant helium balloons, spring bouquets, brunch specials, and widespread exhortations to make sure that our mothers and friends and strangers on social media know how precious the relationship is. Wills is baffled by how, quote, having mass incarceration, having private prisons to break up families, unquote, could fit in the American narrative that seems to celebrate maternal bonds by bestowing flagship status upon the holiday. Quote, what the fuck do I want to celebrate it for? Unquote. So if you want to see the short film, you can go to the newyorker.com and you can check it out there. All right. Next, we are going to hear um, a call that I, I got from Emolimo um, from Corcoran State Prison. His slave name is Terrence White. 
Uh, I'm always grateful for his calls. And one of the things that I asked him about is, this is an excerpt of the call. So I asked him about the 10-year anniversary or commemoration that is going to be taking place in July, commemorating the first hunger strikes that uh, happened in July of 2011. This is the 10-year anniversary. We will be celebrating that and getting ready for that. So please stay tuned here at Prison Focus Radio, California Prison Focus, and the SF Bayview um, National Black Newspaper. Um, Also, I want to give you some information now because after the call from Emolima, we will be hearing from Za, and I just want to leave it there. Uh, I don't want any more information after that. So please, uh, you know, stay tuned with us. I want to thank you all every week for for joining me. I, I don't know most of the people that are listening, but feel free to get in touch with me at newbay at sfbayview.com. Newbay is spelled N-U-B like boy E at sfbayview.com. Also, please, um, yes, just stay with us. Get ready for the commemoration. Uh, Juneteenth is coming up. We are going to be doing a fundraiser for the San Francisco Bayview on June 19th, Saturday from 11 to 5. Um, We will be getting out graphics and flyers and things like that, so stay tuned for that. Please go to uh, prisons.org and um, get uh, yourself uh, uh, more educated and familiar with the California hunger strikers. They are part of... uh, These guys spent decades the torture of solitary confinement. They came together under this amazing agreement called the Agreement to End Hostilities, really the probably the most important document of the last 50 years. Um, they, They were able to win a settlement to get out of the torture of solitary confinement, but most of them are still being caged inside. And only one signer of the Agreement to End Hostilities is out. Paul Red, we are so grateful you are home. Unfortunately, um, um, Chavo Perez died inside. I mean, it's it's egregious what is taking place. So please get involved. Uh, please stay tuned around that. And I also want you to go to sfbayview.com as well. And any of these places that you can uh, send any funds our way would be such a gift. Thank you. And the last thing that I want to talk about, it's not happening until October, but please get involved with the international tribunal that is going to be taking place of We Charge Genocide. Uh, That's happening in October, but you can get involved now by going to Spirit of Mandela, all one word, spiritofmandela.org slash campaigns slash and please make your $25 donation there and get involved because this is going to be a major um, coming together with the international jurors, uh, this tribunal that is going to be taking place. Read the article that um, of the interview that I did with Jaleel Muntakim, the author of We Are Our Own Liberators, the founder of National Jericho Movement, who is the spearheading this tribunal. You can read that in the May issue of the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper. Uh, that's a lot. I know. Uh, feel free to get in touch with me anytime. Nube at sfbayview.com. I love y'all. Here is um, an excerpt of my conversation with Imulimo, followed by a letter that I received from our dear one, Za. Um, some of you may know him as Michael Durow. So, yeah, tell us tell us your thoughts about, about how you're feeling about the anniversary, the 10-year anniversary coming up. 
well, I feel great about it. I mean, there, there has been a lot of struggle. You know, uh, we didn't know exactly how well things were going to work and if they were going to even work at all. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. But from what I see, it, it has allowed people um, a lot of opportunities to build and uh, get involved in some of the productive things that we have going on, as well as create our own operation schools and uh, educate, you know, re-educate the mind of these, this young generation so they can go out there and take back control of their communities and do some very positive and progressive work out there um, is what I see. So, yeah, I didn't even know it had been, it had been that long, 10 years. That, that's a pretty long time. But, yeah, I didn't even know it had been that long. So when, uh, when yeah, I was, I was uh, made aware of it, I thought, okay, it, it has been, you know, a, a beautiful thing. It has had ups and downs. But, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely something that I look forward to continuing to see happen. Right, and and did uh, did Sharon let you know about the uh, about the ruling from Judge Wilkin uh, stating that because CDC small R is not really abiding by uh, by the the agreement, and so there's another year going to be um, uh, allowed for monitoring. Well, no, she didn't tell me about that, but I did hear something about that uh, from a, a couple of others comrades on another yard that I was able to talk to uh, in passing. And right now, um, it, what, what, what's really, what's really uh, interesting is that we don't believe nothing the CDCR says until they do it, you mm -hmm. know. So for them not to honor something doesn't surprise anyone. You know, we've been uh, policing ourselves, you know, and in a productive way since we've gotten out of solitary. And it's been a hard-fought battle because we have to challenge their conditions. Every time they throw a monkey wrench in something productive we're doing, we have to counterattack that. So they took away our group 602s. That's not allowed anymore. You have to individually just 602 somebody. So we've had minimal success with that because nobody is relinquishing anything. They're going straight to the third level, which is Sacramento, and making them aware of it. So when that happens, we do expect retaliation. But um, – you know, so we're not surprised at that, you know, them not uh, abiding by anything. Um, we just hope that the fight will start teetering more on our side and we'll gain more wins like we did during this pandemic when we were fighting just to get things done, you know. So, um, but the main conversation I've been hearing is that they're putting cameras around now and they're on the yard today and yesterday they took the program so they can, I guess, make COs aware of how they're going to do it and how it's going to affect everyone, uh, but they're supposed to go in effect in August, you know, so that that's what's basically being talked about right now. Well, hmm. I mean, considering, I mean, cameras are expensive, and we can see how how ineffective cameras, body cameras, for instance, are out here with the police, right? Half the time they don't have them on. It kind of doesn't really matter even if they do have them on because they can just, they seem to kind of, you know, they can explain their way out of even the most egregious uh, brutalities against the people. And we know that even in prisons, right, there's these, there are the cameras and then, oh, they'll just assault somebody all cuffed up um, outside of the cameras 
or the cameras won't be on? I mean, how effective do you think they are, or are they just really kind of just more window dressing to make people think that their hard-earned money is actually being spent well? Just more window dressing. I mean, they do everything but the right thing. You know, you know how they do that. <laughs> I mean, you know, body cameras are, are going to record incidents they want you to see and, and not record the ones that we want them, to, you know, to see. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we don't pay it no mind. We're not, you know, worried too much about it. Uh, it, it, it just feels, un- the atmosphere feels unnerving because we're not, inmates aren't worried about it. You know, it's, it's mainly the COs who are, you know, being agitated and, 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 and being nervous and know how to react. And then they're, they're not being aggressive towards us, but they are trying to uh, sweat us a lot more now as, as if to say it's you guys' fault we'll be under the radar. You know what I mean? So we're laughing it off and not paying it too much attention and more concerned about just, you know, doing what we do best, you know, continue to be productive and progressive, you know, in all our efforts around here, uh, receive what we got coming, you know, nothing more, nothing less, and um, continuing to fight for our freedoms to get out of here. For those of us that are being, like a few people are, preparing for the war within the next couple of months, so that's on some people's mind. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. We have a few more groups that have came back that the board is recognizing, so you got people trying to get into that, get into the education, get into the vocational course that they do have, and, uh, you know, just being productive in that way to prepare for the board. And then the sentence changes that are supposed to happen next month, you got people, you know, trying to find out more about that as well as write that that um, district attorney in Los Angeles in hopes that he's more influential with other DAs and other counties so that people can start getting out of here. So, you know, those, like I said, those cameras, yeah, they're not, they're just, they're just window dressing, nothing to worry about. Okay. So, um, I know I'm going to, they're probably going to be cutting us off soon, so I just want to make sure that you get a chance to say, um, you know, what, what, do you, do you feel are either the most significant gains or um, what still needs to happen in terms of, you know, our our inside-outside work regarding this, the 10 years cause that, of, the, of the hunger strikes? Because that was a pretty significant, it was a very significant historical three hunger strikes culminating in 30,000 people uh, finally striking and, and, um, and uh, you know, ending at least having a huge influence on the ending of indefinite solitary confinement. I just want to make sure that you get to say what you want to say, considering that. Well, yeah, yeah, it, it was a huge gain. Uh, I'm glad that it, it took place and we reached the objective of getting out of there. Um, what I would really like to see is some of my elders back in society where they can do most good. I mean, I, I want to see those elders you know, who fought long and hard and paved the way for people like me coming to prison who were missed on these general population yards where they could have been more effective, where these liberation schools would be already up and running to their, you know, to the best of their ability because of the knowledge from them that these elders could be given. You know, they're missed in, in society. A lot of them killings would stop, you know, um, just based on their presence being there, waking up people on how to be more um, organizers or create other organizations and, you know, just put the, the right type of teachers in the schools and teach the right type of, of literature that we need and that we didn't have. You know, that's what I'd like to see, um, these parole boards being eliminated so that the parole boards have people from the community on them 
speaking of the good things that these leaders and elders could do once they get back in society and be in their form, letting them know that they will be a part of a, a productive movement that's things done in a positive way. You know, we, we are our own liberators, like, you know, the comrade and elder Jalil Matakwim said. And if you read that book, you'll see why we're our own our liberators. You know, what type of liberation we will gain from building more people power, you know. And going forward, that's what I'd like to see, you know. And I know that it will come for a lot of them, you know. It might not come from, from all of them, but it will come for a lot of them. Fantastic. Well, you know, we're keeping up with the... Um the liberate from the liberate uh, our our cage liberate the cage voices. We're doing the liberate our caged elders campaign, and of course, uh, you know uh, that's what I'm heading up. And and Minister King, um, and these are both through California Prison Focus, um, doing the agreement to come home as well. Uh, both focused on the the elders of the um, Astor settlement and the hunger strikes. Yes, we want them home. So I'm uh, always grateful when when you bring that up, and um, so we are okay. Well, we are going to continue with that, and um, we are going to be highlighting this incredible work that was done to, uh, yeah, continue to uh, embolden and empower all of us to continue to work together with y'all in there. Well, we appreciate you, sis. You know, we love you. And, uh, you know, thank you for all the support you all have been doing and, and will continue to do. And, I, you know, how I feel, I look forward to working with you all in society one day soon, you know. But you and the, and the brother Malik are doing a fantastic job. Keep up the good work, you know. Um, don't ever get discouraged because you don't win all the battles. You know, we don't claim easy victories, but we will win, you know, if we don't give up or give in, you know, going forward. So, you know, I look forward to seeing a lot more of those wins and uh, building with you all on this inside-outside collaboration. So take care, and I'll, I'll talk to you guys again real soon. Okay, beautiful. Hey, and one last thing, too, to pass around. There is going to be an international tribunal that's taking place in October from the 22nd okay. through the 24th, and, uh, and we are going to make sure that, um, you know, the elders and the, the, the whole hunger strike uh, – you know, class of, of prisoners, you all um, are going to be uh, a part of that. So just know that that's going to be taking place through the spirit of Mandela.org um, organization. So definitely let people know because Jalil Munkin is, um, you know, he's like the major, has 60 leader, seconds remaining. major leader on that with the National Jericho Movement. So, um, okay. you know, we are in conversation with him. And as a matter of fact, we're going to be having a conversation with him on Friday with some of the um, some of the elders, couple of the elders that have come out, um, and so we're going to be in conversation. So let people know that this tribunal is happening, and it's through the spirit of Mandela.org. People can go there, and okay, they I can become that. a part of that, okay? Okay, I will do that. Thank you, and I appreciate all you guys' work, and I look forward to seeing that be successful. And uh, give my loves and respects to the brother when you do talk to him. Take care. Definitely. We charge genocide. All right. We love you, uh, Emilio. We charge genocide. <laughs> love you too, sis. Okay. Peace. Okay. A quick musical break and then za.
lastly, I'm going to read a letter from our dear one, our dear friend Zah, whose slave name is Michael Darrow. You've heard me speak of him before. He is part of our Liberate Our Caged Elders campaign. We want him home. And the reason we are going to end with this letter, because despite the decades of torture and caging that he experiences, despite the fact that he is unjustly caged with a life without parole sentence, despite the conditions that seek to dehumanize him and break him, he always comes through and always expresses and shares with us his deep heart and we just love him so much and he is inspiring and I'm, it's important that we leave, we end our show with beautiful words, heartfelt words from Za. And I want to encourage you to call the governor at 916-445-2841 and demand that he release our elders and get involved with the campaigns um, that focus on our elder prisoners and prisoners in general. Hello, sis. Thank you for your letter and the enclosures and for your support. It is most appreciated. I trust that you and Malik continue to be well and high in spirit upon receiving this and that the harassment that he, you, were experiencing is a thing of the past. The efforts that you are engaging in and the work that you are doing is really important to any meaningful changes that must occur if we are to see the kinds of transfer of power that is necessary for something new and different to come about. And I think it is still incredibly important for the stories of people to be told, stories that not only consist of what has happened to us inside of prison, but also the stories of the families and loved ones of incarcerated people and how they have been and continue to be impacted by this experience, the experience of white supremacy and patriarchy. When those stories are told, we step outside of the box that white supremacy and patriarchy has historically locked us into a box that has prevented us from being able to see the planet as something that we are connected to, and as a result, not feeling as though it is something that we can, should contribute to improving. I did not realize how much I missed my parents and sister until after they had passed away. I did not realize how important it was, is, to hold and hug my children until after they became too old to hold or how much I would love to be a grandfather until after my grandson was killed. And I am just one of millions of people who have been locked into the box that white supremacy and patriarchy demands that we stay locked into, demands that not only require that people view each other from a warped and distorted lens, but that we view ourselves from the same warped and distorted lens as well. Any challenge to white supremacy and patriarchy must consist of our opening up and creating the space for everyone to express their experiences, the lens through which they view oppression. How else are we to understand how we have been affected psychologically by the oppression that we have experienced, and to develop the kinds of strategies that will make it possible to begin to heal collectively and to rid ourselves of the poison that has caused us to think so little of ourselves and each other? That space has already opened up thanks to the efforts of Mary Ratcliffe and the San Francisco Bayview, Liberate the Caged Voices, you and Malik 
BLM, Prison Focus, Jerry Silva of Fuel, CCWP, and others. You all are really magnificent reflections of giants, Angela Davis and Asada Shakur, Dolores Huerta, Laura Whitehorn and Marilyn Buck, George Jackson, and so many others. Racial justice organizers such as Sharon Martinez and Annabelle Parker. Thank you and Malik for your support and for your example. It is like you both. Most appreciated. And here's a quote that he ends with. The system will collapse if we refuse to buy what they are selling. Their ideas, their version of history, their wars, their weapons, their notions of inevitability. Remember this. We be many and they be few. They need us more than we need them. Another world is not only possible, she is on her way. On a quiet day, I can hear her breathing. Arundhati Roy. Maintain your spirit, love, and solidarity. Zoff.